Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word this morning. We pray you would open our hearts and our understanding, not just to know it, but to live it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've called this sermon The Barn Builder, and I think maybe Eugene Peterson was the first to, to call it that. The Parable of the Barn Builder, and I'll probably refer to the rich man as Barn Builder a few times. It, actually, though, the passage doesn't start off with Barn Builder. It starts off with a question that someone in the crowd asked Jesus. So let's look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator between you two? And then he said to them, watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So this moment, this teaching moment starts off with someone comes up to Jesus. Uh, there's an inheritance to be had of some kind. And he asks if Jesus, as a rabbi, will mediate this dispute regarding the money from this inheritance. And that wasn't uncommon to ask the rabbi to kind of help settle maybe some legal affairs or whatnot to be part of those sorts of processes. And what's interesting is Jesus, who is indeed a rabbi, indeed the rabbi, the great teacher, of course much more than that, but Jesus just says basically, um, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm not really interested in that. And his response actually has a bit of a rebuking tone to it. Now it's kind of a funny moment because he says who made me the judge or arbitrator between you and in a sense we could say well as the son of god he certainly is the arbitrator between everything over all people but what jesus is saying here is my task as the rabbi as the son of god as yahweh among you is not one of settling uh, mediating legal disputes between brothers that's not what I'm here to do. I could spend probably, he could probably spend all his time doing that sort of thing, right? There'd be no end to it. Instead, he uses the opportunity to talk about the desires of our hearts and quite quickly goes there, not to the, the logistics of the, of the inheritance scenario, but suddenly starts talking about greed and covetousness. Or to use the old terminology, avarice. Avarice is not a common word today, but it refers to sort of an extreme greed or wealth for material possessions, a desire to have. It's still a real kind of vice around us, isn't it? A desire to be attached to the things of the world and to consume uh, with our lives, to constantly be taking in, to hoard more, to have more for ourselves if we're not careful. In the Russian classic, The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky says this about avarice. I think this is a fitting quote. He says, the world says, you have needs, satisfy them. You have as much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today. And they believe that this is freedom. The result for the rich, however, is isolation 
and suicide, for the poor, envy, and murder. The underlying presumption in Dostoevsky's book, and I think it's still fair to say in our culture today, is to pursue and satisfy our desires. But that assumes that our desires are good, and they're not always good, are they? Think of what James says in James 1, 14, 16. James says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. James is saying, sometimes the desires of our hearts actually can point us towards sinful activities if we're not careful. You can't always trust your heart. Your heart is slippery. It can be prone to misleading you. You can't always just follow your heart to achieve all that you want in life because your heart is not always a reliable, trustworthy guide. Our desires are not always good. They can be sinful. And simply fulfilling those desires, whatever they might be, whether it's materially or, or uh, physically or whatever it might be, that ends, Dostoevsky says, in all sorts of things. It ends in isolation or it ends in, in seeking to violence against yourself or others, right? When we become so self-consumed with things, with satisfying ourselves, we start to treat others not as people, but as projects, as things to consume for ourselves. We eat up and destroy others. And that's why it's especially important in our culture today that we recognize that simply affirming or celebrating any desire whatsoever, unchecked or unconcerned for how it might affect others, unaware of a higher moral standard or a higher good will only create deeper areas of sin and brokenness in our world. That was, the, that was the harsh result of the sexual revolution in the 60s. This sense of, well, it's just freedom. We can kind of do whatever we want with no consequences. And the result was a greater brokenness in Western civilization, a greater brokenness in marriages, a greater sense of confusion around marriage and around sexuality and uh, so much more that plagues us today because of that avarice, that greed that consume. And so when we put our desires above people, we get close to destroying ourselves, to, to uh, giving in to our sort of basest desires and greeds. And Jesus takes this moment... This moment, and now, of course, the brother's just thinking, hey, here's some inheritance I'm owed, potentially. We actually don't really know his, his motivation. But Jesus gets right underneath all of that and starts to talk about greed and selfishness because it's so easy to let this take root in our hearts. What does Jesus say? Take care, verse 15, or watch out. Guard yourself from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life and your, your value, your purpose in life is not found in how much you consume or have for yourself. It's just not there. It's not there. And then he tells the parable, the next parable in our series, the parable of the barn builder. And from the outside, barn builder is about a guy who has this great opportunity in front of him and he has every reason to act on this opportunity so he can make the most of life. 
And that sounds fairly reasonable, right? Here's this guy. He's got a, an abundant, enormous crop coming in. He's had just this awesome harvest coming. The fields are ready. It's been a fantastic year. He's looking at it going, this is amazing. We just had this amazing year. What am I going to do with all of this? He's not ready for it, right? He could harvest it all, but without proper storage, some of this is going to go to waste, and that wouldn't be very good. And, of course, you know, it, it could just rot if he's not careful. He could lose it, and so he needs to get ready for it. And it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense, right? He has some barns, but they're completely useless for the task at hand. So what does he say? He, he says, I'm going I'm to knock them down. I'm going to tear down my old barns. This is verse 18. I'm going to build larger ones, and there I'll store all of my grain and all of my goods. And so far, it's like, well, that kind of, that kind of makes sense, right? If this was happening in real life, we would say that for barn builder to do anything else would probably be foolish. If we knew of someone who uh, was having just this incredible yield from a harvest, but they weren't ready to actually receive it or handle it properly and they you know we knew this person was going to let a bunch of it go to waste we'd probably think well what's going on with them why would they do that it doesn't make a lot of sense and so from the outside looking in this seems like a pretty wise thing to do the guy's trying not to be wasteful right he's trying to trying to be seemingly responsible for this crop that's coming in so far everything makes sense and it lines up biblically with things we know as well. Yes, we should seek to work hard if we can to, to earn a living. That makes sense. We should try to plan wisely for the future. That also makes sense, right? We should make the most of the opportunities we have in life. That also makes, makes sense. Sounds good. So what's the issue? Barn builder guy's just trying to make some wise decisions, right? Well, the question is, or is he? Is he actually? From the outside looking in, this all makes really good business sense. But the issue arrives in the next few verses, and it's about how the thought of having the abundance of wealth that this is going to bring for him does something to barn builder's heart. The thought of it coming. He doesn't have it yet, really. The thought of it coming to him does something inside. Look again at what barn builder says in verses 18 and 19. Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and goods, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. Now, if you have a Bible open, or maybe you heard it as I just read it again, what word is repeated several times in those few verses? Can you see it? I... I will do this. I will tear down. I will store. I will say. I'm going to do it. See, Barn Builder's issue is not external. It's internal. He has a desire to make it all happen for himself. I'm going to do this. I will. I have. I deserve. It's mine. My own. Who produced the crop? Was it Barn Builder? Look at verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The crop, this man's livelihood, is not ultimately his own making. It's God's good gift of creation given as food for him. 
It's a sheer gift of God's grace. And any farmer or gardener can tell you, you can do all you can to plant and to water and to fertilize and to weed, but we cannot inherently make the seed do anything. We can set up the parameters as best as we can, and then we wait. And something miraculous happens that's beyond our control. It's of our efforts, yes, we participated in what grows, but the growing itself, the fact that that will happen, is sheer grace. And so we have an abundant crop that's a gift of God, and yet barn builder sees only what it means for himself. I will do this. I will make this. Me, me, me. And I'll never have to worry again. Because that's sort of the, the implication, right? I'll have so much, I will find safety and security in how much I have for myself. I will trust in this thing for my future. I'll never have to worry again. I'll never have to work again either, which sounds pretty good. And Jesus rebukes the man's selfishness. And then, ironically, in the parable, poor barn builder doesn't even get to enjoy his gift, right? Because God shows up in verse 20, and God says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded back from you. And who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And that term, demanded back or required back from you, has a sort of economic feel to it. Almost like a debt that's being called back for repayment. And so we have an abundant crop that's a gift, and barn builders forgotten that that's a gift. To him, it's me, 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 I'm, I'm going to do this. But moreover, he's forgotten that his own life is a gift given by God. And God reminds him, barn builder, in a sense, your life is not your own. I've given it to you, and I can take it away. And tonight, it's going. And now, poor barn builder, his life is at an end. And what's going to become of all that planning and all that striving? Now, once again, the planning for the future is not inherently bad, right? That we're just, we're seeking to be wise. That's encouraged throughout the Bible. But what this man has done is he set his, his whole life plan around the accumulation and then the hoarding of these riches. He set his life on the, the seeming security of those possessions, right? Once he knows he's going to have it, he's like, I can just sit back and relax. I'm going to be good. Just let that go. And notice there's no acknowledgement of God. There's no acknowledgement of the gift of God's creation. There's no acknowledgement of anyone else in his life either. How's he going to get all this in? I'm sure there's workers involved. I'm going to build the house. I'm going to build the barn. Really? You? He's probably hiring someone. No mention of them. Nope. They're just a means to an end for him. Someone to be used. He's self-absorbed. And in the end, he's ignored the weightier matters of his soul. It's like someone who has all the toys. He's got the four-wheelers, he's got this boat, and, and he's got, and then it becomes winter, and he pulls out his snow machine, has got it. And he's even got a big barn to put it all in. He's got all his stuff. He's good to go. But when he's finished his life, those full barns mean nothing. 
And then Jesus turns and applies the parable to the disciples, right? Look at verse 22. He said to the disciples, therefore, I tell you, therefore, what? In light of this parable, in light of the, the way in which we can accumulate for ourselves and not even realize our own greed, our own covetousness in that. He says, therefore, I tell you, so don't worry about your life. What you will eat or, or about your body, what you'll wear. There's more to life than food, more to the body than clothing. Now, this could be, again, I think misunderstood to mean that people shouldn't make any attempt to work for a living or to obtain their food, right? That's not what Jesus is getting at. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying just sit aimlessly and expect God to sort of magic up food and clothing for you. You know, that's not what he's getting at. But he's saying, what's your heart set on? He's saying, don't be overly concerned with that stuff. Be content with what you have. God loves the birds. He loves his flowers. Hey, God will also look after you. But if you get so self-absorbed in this stuff, you will miss the point of life. You'll be so caught up in it that like barn builder, your life will come to an end and you'll realize that stuff was worthless. And you'll forget that your life itself is gift. You didn't make yourself. It's sheer gift of grace. So what's your heart set on? Money, right? Like the guy looking to get more out of his brother's inheritance. That was his issue. Or the safety and security of provision. That's what barn builder was after. Or are our hearts set on the kingdom of God? And that's where Jesus turns, right? He says, so don't be anxious or worry about your life. Set your heart. Verse 31, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. You seek God first. He will look after those details. Yes, work as, as you can. Look after and make wise decisions about the future as best you can. But you don't find your ultimate security in that stuff. Ultimately, our security and our hope is found in a relationship with Jesus. It's in, in the kingdom of God, not in the accumulation of our stuff. And you know what? You could say, well, I don't have a lot of stuff, so this doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. It exactly applies to you because if you don't have a lot of stuff, you can still spend a lot of time thinking about accumulating stuff, right? So this isn't just for rich people to hear. This is also for any of us that's sort of middle class or low middle class or poverty, whatever, because we can all get consumed in our hearts with having more. And regardless of whether you think you have enough or not, that temptation to set our stock and our security and our, our, our future in what we have is always going to be there. And Jesus says, let go of that worry. Don't be anxious about that. God will look after you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So the big question is, well, is Jesus first and foremost in our lives then? Or, our, or really at the end of the day, our, is, is something else first and foremost in our life? I found this quote by John Foreman. He's the, the front man, the lead singer-songwriter for Switchfoot, uh, the band. And he said this, and I thought it was fairly fitting. He says, greed, envy, sloth, pride, and gluttony. These aren't even vices anymore. These are marketing tools. Lust is a way of life. Envy is just a nudge towards another sale. 
Even in our relationships, we consume each other, each of us looking for what we can get out of the other. Our appetites are often satisfied at the expense of those around us. In a dog-eat-dog world, we lose part of our humanity. That's John Foreman, who's a Christian. And Jesus calls us to a countercultural way of living, right? And if, that, if, if John Foreman is shining the spotlight on some of the issues in our culture, listen to Jesus giving us the remedy, starting in verse 31. Seek his kingdom, God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then verses 32 and 33. We didn't read them this morning, but they, they just fit so well. Do not be afraid, little flock. I think at the bottom of this is a fear, right? It's a fear about the future. It's a fear of the unknown. Barn builders trying to, to shore up something against that fear, right? Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. And then here's the real countercultural bit from Jesus, verse 33. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourself purses that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that never decreases, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that's really the call for us, I think, from this passage as we kind of wrap up the sermon. There's a call for us to resist the greed that can press in on us and to choose instead to live simply. And sometimes that means denying ourselves, including some of the desires in our hearts which are not always trustworthy, including perhaps our own selfishness or our own greed. It means to say that I can have appetites that are sinful, that are not to be pursued, and I need wisdom to discern what is worth setting my life on. I'm more than my cravings, right? I'm called to follow Jesus and to love him and to allow him to give me a new heart that seeks him first. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So again, for us, what's your heart set on? That's the question for us. What's your heart set on? What really matters most in your life? And so rather than asking, what can I get out of this? How does it satisfy me? Right? That's barn builder. That's what he thinks. Instead, we can ask, how can I give the way God gives? How can I seek first his kingdom to love God with my whole heart, my whole life, to love those that he brings into my life? That's the lesson of the barn builder parable. And that's a reminder for all of us uh, to say, Lord, what's going on in my heart? I want to pursue you first. Help me not to give in to my own greed. Help me to, to trust in you for my future. Jesus says, so don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And remember that your very life is gift, sheer gift of God's grace. Let's pray to that end and ask God, uh, how individually, because we all have different ways we can live that out. Let's ask him how we can live that out this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that it cuts to the heart. I thank you that it is alive and trustworthy and speaks just as clearly today as it did 2,000 years ago and more. Lord, you know the desires in our hearts. You know the places in our hearts, Lord, where we have cravings and desires that are not of you. 
Lord, we want to surrender those to you today. And Jesus, we pray that you would create in us clean hearts, new hearts, hearts that are sensitive to your spirit, hearts that aren't anxious about the future because we know and trust that you've got us, hearts that seek to, to, to navigate the world wisely, yes, to work, and yes, to plan well, but also, Lord, to know you direct our steps, that you ultimately are the one we trust for our futures and for our safety and security and provision. And so, Lord, we pray that you would keep us from our own greed. Keep us, Lord, from, from following our desires at times into sin, as James reminds us, Lord. And Jesus, may we take this parable to heart that at times we can be so caught up in our own lives and in what we can do to satisfy ourselves that we miss out. We miss out on what you have for us. We forget that life is a gift. We forget the importance of community around us. Jesus, would you keep us and our hearts tender towards you and keep us, Lord, focused upon you and your grace as we seek to follow and trust you. Lord, I thank you for my friends here today. Would you bless each one who's come and those who can't be here and those who are, are watching online or will be watching or listening to this later. Lord, would you bless them? Would you also do that work in our hearts to make us more and more like you, Jesus? We want to abide in you, to find our life and our hope in you alone. And with the words you taught us, Lord, we just pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'd love to send you out with the benediction before we end the service. And if you would like prayer today or you just want to connect after the service, I'd love to be able to do that with you. So don't feel you have to rush off. Um, yeah, I'd love to be able to pray with you if you have something going on in your life. Receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and who are forgiven in and through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. May you have a tender heart towards the love of God. And may you trust in him for your future and for your provision and your safety and security in life. And may you guard yourself against the temptation towards greed and consumption. May your hearts be tender towards God and towards others. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Bless you.